This morning, Jesus, too, as we come to your word, we thank you for the written word. We want it to draw us to you, the living word. And so, God, this morning, as we look at the Christmas story, we we pray that our hearts would uh, be captured by the wonder. We pray that our hearts would be um, stunned by who you are and what you've done for us. I pray, God, that you would just give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we come to your word today, that, that we might know you better. And Lord, we, we ask just for not wise and persuasive words, Lord, but for a demonstration of your spirit's power and the teaching of the word of God this morning, that your spirit would just make it come alive to us. And so, Father, uh, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Going to take a peek at the Christmas story this morning. Luke chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 1. It says this In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, I I, I didn't look it up specifically, but it's something like 70 70 miles, 120 kilometers. Long and arduous. What you have to remember here was just this this whole uh, Samaritan conflict in Israel. And so you didn't get to take the easy route the way the crow would fly. You had to take the long way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It, it, It meant, you know, descending down into the Jordan Valley and taking that highway. And then the long climb from Jericho up to Jerusalem as they made their way towards Bethlehem. The, the name of that town, Bethlehem, means this, the house of bread. The house of bread. It, it's, it's a place in scripture, in my mind, when I think about Bethlehem and the Christmas story, I think it's a place of provision. Uh, a place of sustenance where, where God works. And isn't that the story of the coming of our Lord? The provision of God. It says in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. I think, you know, there's all sorts of little babies here this morning. I see there's Peterson grandchildren here and Tekenen grandchildren here this morning, and there's Simpson grandkids here. And, you know, there's little baby Hope and Arya. Little babies... Here Mary is, her first child. She's got her first precious baby boy. And with the care of a very first-time mother, she took that little baby boy and she swaddled him in cloths and she placed him in the mangers, the story goes, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now I just think about Mary wrapping that little one and never for a second do I think that it crossed her mind that the time would come before her time that someone else would take his body and wrap it with cloths and lie it somewhere else in a tomb because there was no room for him 
anywhere. It just kind of became the theme of the Savior's life. Verse 8 says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now a little bit of fact about Bethlehem. Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem, it was known uh, for being a place where sheep were raised for temple sacrifice, okay? And so there was lots of shepherds. There was lots of that sort of um, agricultural farming sort of industry there where they were raising sheep to be sacrificed in Jerusalem at the temple. And so it, it's an appropriate place for the Son of God who himself would be sacrificed for our sin to be born in Bethlehem. The house of bread, the place of provision and sustenance. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, this is incredible. I mean, you think about this. I mean, an angel appears in the midst. These shepherds, here they are. They're out in the field. It's a normal night like any other night. And and into their sight, becoming visible, uh, an angel materializes in physical appearance. Now, you know, if we just think about angels for a minute, I mean, I mean we know that angels are invisible to the human eye. They, they move in some other dimension, the realm of the spirit that is beyond human sight. You know, I, I, I think about different stories in the Bible regards to angels. I'm reminded this morning as I think about this of the story when Elisha was on the scene and he was the prominent uh, prophet in the nation of Israel and the king of Syria had come and over, overnight while the Israelites were not ready, the Syrian army had surrounded their city and when they got up in the morning, here's this great army, this great host. And uh, the king, the scripture tells us, uh, cried out because he was greatly troubled. And the scripture tells us that Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, open their eyes so that they would see. And the Lord did so. And they saw into the realm of the spirit and surrounding this army was the army of the Lord. The angels, the host uh, of heaven, the chariots of the Lord. They, they just saw what was going on. Now, the, the, the Bible uh, tells us of many Old Testament uh, angelic appearances, you know, uh, where it actually uses that word, an angel appeared. It materialized. It was physically seen. I could just think of a few, a few stories from the Old Testament. Of course, there's Moses in the burning bush. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. There's the story of Gideon when he's threshing weed in the midst of a wine press, hiding out. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. There's the story of Samson's mother. Scripture doesn't tell us her, her name, Manoah's wife. The angel of the Lord appeared to her. And in each instance, the human reaction to this appearing of this angelic presence was fear. You know, whether it was Moses or Gideon or Manoah's wife and Manoah himself, the cry was this, I'm going to die. An angel. I mean, fear gripped their hearts. And in each instance, the angel would just speak and say, fear not. You know, the appearing of angels in the Old Testament always 
had to do with God performing a certain work. God was about to perform a work of deliverance when an angel would appear. It's very specific that angel would come for a very specific reason. You think about the story of Moses. The people of Israel were in the bondage of slavery to Egypt. And the angel appeared to him to tell him he would be the deliverer to go and set the people free. Or the story of Gideon. The Israelites were living in fear of the Midianites. They were robbing them. They were stealing their crops. I mean, Gideon is in hiding as the angel of the Lord appears to him with a message of deliverance. Or Manoah's wife. The people of Israel oppressed at the hand of the Philistines. See, each instance, the message was one of hope. The, the hope of deliverance. The Lord would promise through his angel, I'm about to do a work of deliverance for my people. For deliverance, what do you need? A deliverer. Just like when you order pizza. You need a deliverer. Okay? And in each one of these stories, the Old Testament instances of angel angelic appearances, the word of the Lord through that messenger, the angel is this. I'm going to set my people free and I'm going to send a deliverer. In Moses' case, Moses was the deliverer. In Gideon's case, Gideon was used by the Lord to deliver the people of Israel. Uh, with Manoah's wife, she gave birth to Samson. When you consider that, you know, and, and then just jump to the New Testament. I mean, we're singing about uh, the Christmas story this morning and the angelic appearances that happened to Joseph. It was one of the scripture reading. Well, they're different, actually, from what we see in the Old Testament. Because with Joseph, whenever an angel appeared to him, it wasn't physical, visible with his human eye. The scripture says for him, it was when he dreamed. An angel would appear to him and speak to him. When he discovered that Mary was pregnant and was considering what he should do and thought maybe I should quietly divorce her. And as he was considering these things in the night, in a dream, an angel appeared to him and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Message of a deliverer, but it came through a dream. Then there's, after Jesus was born, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream again and, and, and warned him that, that Herod was ordering a manhunt and, and that they were going to try and track down this little baby and, and kill him and that Joseph was instructed in that dream to flee to Egypt with Mary and with baby Jesus. And then the third time that Joseph experienced an angelic appearance in his dream was after Herod had passed away and it would be safe for them to return to the land of Israel. Uh, the scripture was fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. And the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and he was told it's safe to go home. And the scripture tells us he returned to Galilee, the town called Nazareth. As it was prophesied, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so although Joseph had experienced angelic appearances, his were different. They were via dreams as he slept. And so they weren't in the pattern of what we see with Moses and Gideon and Manoah's wife, a message of deliverance and the raising up of a 
the message of the raising up of a deliverer. However, when you consider the New Testament, I think of Zechariah. The priest who had been selected by law to go into the temple and to burn incense before the Lord and to offer prayers. He had an angelic vision appearing before his eyes. He's supposed to be in there all alone before the altar of incense offering his prayers. And all of a sudden, he's not all alone. There's someone else uh, standing to the right of the altar. And the scripture tells us he was startled. He was gripped with fear, as you can imagine. And the pattern was the same that you see with Moses and with Gideon and Manoah's wife as it was for Zechariah. The first thing communicated to Zechariah was fear not. You don't need to fear. I'm here. And I've come to bring you a message. Deliverance. God is raising up a deliverer. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah, Zechariah through, through the womb of your barren wife, I'm going to send a son and he will be great. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will uh, turn the hearts of many of the children of Israel back to the Lord and he will go on before the Lord himself. In the spirit and in the power of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness and he'll make straight the path for the coming of the Lord. See, John the Baptist was a, a spiritual deliverer of sorts for the hearts of the people of Israel. Turning them from sin to repentance, making straight the highway for the coming of the ultimate deliverer, King Jesus. King Jesus. <clears throat> As was the pattern with Moses and Gideon and Manoah's wife and Zechariah, God sent an angelic messenger with good news of deliverance this time in Luke chapter 2 to a group of lowly shepherds. You know, when, when you read the Bible and, and read about uh, shepherds, you know, the metaphorical picture of a shepherd is beautiful. Looking for the lost, tending to the young, leading the sheep to water, leading the sheep to green pastures, protecting the sheep from creatures that, that might turn them into an easy meal. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd, as the Bible tells us. I, I mean, it's a great picture of caring and nurturing and tending. It's a great picture of the nature of God. But the reality is this. Being a shepherd was no prized occupation. I mean, you just have to banish that image from your mind to just think being a shepherd is a wonderful thing in the ancient Near East. Moses only became a shepherd himself after he'd murdered someone and had to flee for his life. David was a shepherd because he was the youngest and most insignificant member of his family, out of youngest of seven brothers. You know, the first time I went to Israel, I was hanging out with the guide and... I asked him sincerely, I, it was just small talk, about shepherding as an occupation. And uh, he was from New York, and he was a Jew. And so in every, with every bit of New York attitude, he's like, Jews don't look after sheep. We leave that to the Bedouins. See, there was nothing desirable in that culture about being a shepherd. You know, if you'd written the Christmas story, and you understood the culture at that time, you would not have included shepherds in the story. Not a chance. They were dirty. 
They lived out in the field with livestock. You know, they had a reputation and intended to be one of disrepute. You know, real people, real people don't sleep out in fields, man. They sleep with a roof over their head in a bed. And they take a bath once in a while. And so as much as we might glorify in our minds the the glorious and righteous work of a shepherd, it was anything but. But that's the gospel, right? That that is the good news. It doesn't exclude, and it certainly doesn't begin with the high-minded and those in ivory towers. The gospel is the story of God becoming a man. He descended from the height of heaven, uh, from his throne, And he became a man, and he started with those who first smelt and lived among barnyard animals. He was born in a barn. Laid in a manger, the first first people who came to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was sustaining the very universe by the power of his word, were shepherds. Now verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, just get this in your mind a little bit. Keeping watch over the flock by night, an angelic appearance. From the unseen realm of the Spirit, the Lord materializes for these guys an angel in the physical realm and they behold him with their eyes. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them and their reaction was a normal human reaction. Fear. That self-preserving God-engineered human emotion gripped their hearts. Fear. And as the old King James says, they were sore afraid. That's good old English, isn't it? Sore afraid. Think about what that means. Sore afraid. Those shepherds were so gripped with fear that it manifested itself in physical pain. It throbbed, it ached, and it seized their hearts and minds because they thought, oh no, we're going to die. An angel of the Lord. This wasn't oh, wow, look, an angel, fat little baby with wings. This was, I am going to die. They were sore afraid. They were gripped with fear. You know, the Greek says it this way. Megas phobio phobos. That means struck with terror. That, That means that this fear was so great that the original language had to use two variations of the word fear to talk about what was going on with these guys. You know, Moses and Gideon and Samson's mother and father, they didn't say, oh, look, an angel. This is pretty cool. They said, oh, no, I'm going to die. (laughs) And for the the shepherds, it was megaphobia, man. That's That's the adjective to describe the verb fear. It was serious business. And each time... As the Lord did for Moses and Gideon and Manoah's wife and Zechariah and the promise of deliverance that was about to be proclaimed to them, the angel said, fear not. 
to the shepherd so seized with fear that it physically hurt, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. You know, I, the, the angel essentially said this. Fear has gripped you. Don't fear, rather grip this. That gripped you, but instead, I want to give you something else that should grip you. I bring you good news of great joy that's for all people. You know, isn't, isn't that how the Lord always works? I mean, the Lord doesn't just say don't. That's what I do to my kids, right? Don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't say that. Why, Dad? Because I said so, I'm your father. Okay. That, that's how we roll as parents. That's not what the Lord does. When the Lord says, fear not, he offers an exchange, a transaction, a spiritual transaction. He said, this is gripped you, fear. Let go of that and take hold of this. Behold, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. Terror has seized you, but now let this seize you. Let your heart and mind be seized with this good news of great joy for all people. You know, often when I talk about fear, and I mean, you guys have heard me say it so many times, but I believe it's true and I think it's very helpful. Follow your fears to your idols and repent. Fear is about self-preservation. And fear really does seize people, as all of us know. Sometimes it, it takes the form of anxiety. Sometimes it takes the form of, of worry. But get this. From this story, we see fear can actually take a form of physical pain. That's crazy to me to just think about how we can be gripped with fear. That we could have physical pain in the flesh because of fear. The shepherds were sore afraid. See, fear can get a grip on you and God does not want you to live a life controlled and manipulated by fear. And I, I think the story of Christ's birth teaches us an incredible principle for having victory over fear. Behold good news. Behold good, take hold of the good news. Has fear enslaved you? I'll tell you what, the Egyptians enslaved the people of Israel. And God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. The Midianites got their grip on the people of Israel and they stole from them and they robbed them and they took their food and they took the spoils of their hard work and God raised up for them a deliverer named Gideon. For generations, the Philistines terrorized and instilled fear in the Israelites and God raised up Samson, a deliverer. And the angel said to those shepherds, good news, glad tidings, great joy for all people. This day, this day, a savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Savior, deliverer. This is the announcement of a deliverer. And just to make sure there's no confusion as to his identity, who this is, the angel speaks it loud and clear. This is him. This is the one. 
This is what you have been waiting for. This is who you have been looking for. Your hopes are fulfilled and the answer to your longing has arrived. A savior is born. He's Christ, the Lord, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the rescuer, the liberator, the emancipator, champion. Your knight in shining armor just rolled up. King Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sin. See, this time, the enemy was not Egypt. The enemy was not the Midianites. And it was certainly not the Philistines. And the deliverer was no stuttering Moses. And the deliverer was not one who did his work under the cover of darkness like Gideon. And it was no womanizing Samson. This time, it was the enemy, death. This time, the enemy was sin. And this time, the deliverer was the Lord. What was his message? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give to them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, you know what else Isaiah said about Christ the Lord? He said this, Isaiah 50 verse 4, beautiful verse. Speaking of Jesus, it says, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Him who's gripped with fear, I think. With a word I can sustain. You know, it, it, it goes on in that verse. It says, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear and he sustains me with his word. How precious is the word of the Lord. See, the announcement of the angels proclaimed this. The long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one has come. It's King Jesus. Now remember, these were just shepherds. This was news that was too good to be true. So what should the Lord do? Shall the staff become a snake? Shall he send a swarm of flies? Shall he send them to Mount Sinai to worship? Should they meet a prophet along the road that he, that he give them bread to eat? To Eli the priest, the man of God said, I'll raise up for myself a, a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind and I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And this will be the sign to you, Eli. Hophni and Phinehas, your sons who are unfaithful, they will die on the same day. What shall be the sign to the shepherds? Shall the shadow go back 10 steps? 
Verse 12 says, and this shall be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's a pretty unusual place to find a baby, isn't it? You know, should not the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the anointed Christ, be born in a palace among kings? Doesn't the scripture say his name is Jesus and at his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess, you know, in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? And how did God see fit? To place him where no baby should ever be placed. Laid in a manger, a stable, a barn with the animals and the mice and the, the mess. Was a humble king. The humble king. And verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, the scene changes here. This is no lo- it's no longer just one single angel. I, I forget Moses and Gideon and Manoah and Zechariah and all those great stories. Because this whole scene changed. It's above and beyond anything that ever happened before. This was significant enough that the host of heaven showed up. And they materialized in front of those shepherds' eyes. And they sang and they praised God and they said, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, it just reminds me of the story of the disciples coming to Jesus. They said to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know how it goes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, think about that for a minute. You know, our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you just from notice the order of that prayer, the attitude, the direction from heaven to earth. You know, we sing that song, you came from heaven to earth. You know that one? As the multitude of the heavenly hosts began to praise God, the direction of their praise was from heaven to earth. And they said this, glory to God in the highest. Now, that statement is so great that it is beyond the skill of this preacher to pull it apart. Glory to God in the highest. This is a description of worship that is off the charts. I, 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 I don't know how to break it down, but I'm going to give it a humble attempt this morning, Okay. The word glory means this. It means opinion or estimation or judgment. The angelic host made a judgment and they voiced their opinion about the character and the excellent nature of God as they considered the incarnation. As they considered baby Jesus lying there, they made an estimation about God and at the forefront of their thinking was Emmanuel, God with us. 
And just think about it. Here, here you have the host of heaven who on some level and, and on a level far beyond ours have, have beheld the eternal triune God in all of his heavenly glory. In their mind, there's no confusion, okay? There's no confusion as to the identity of God. You might be confused. Uh, you, you know, you might question the reality of God's love. You might question the incarnation of Christ. You may question the, le le the legitimacy of the fact that God became a man. But the angels had no such confusion. No question. They had beheld the living God. They had seen him with their eyes. The creator of the universe. They, they had seen him in his most exalted state, seated on the throne of heaven. They heard the worship of the cherubim and the seraphim who day and night cry, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. They understood the identity of that little baby lying in a manger. There was no guessing for them. They understood that no man could ascend to heaven, so God had to descend to earth. Cloaking all of his glory in human flesh. They understood that the voice that sustains the entire universe was veiled in the flesh of that little child. And with all of those things in mind, that angelic host made a judgment about God. And they sang their opinion with one voice and they ascribed to the Lord the glory to his name. Glory to God in the highest. Magnificence. Excellence. Preeminence. Dignity. Grace. Majesty. Honor. Respect belongs to you. O king of heaven in the highest form it belongs to you. Your glory is tall and lofty. The eagle soars. The cedar stands mighty. The oceans are deep and the mountains are high. But you, king of heaven, are the Everest of glory. The heavens cannot contain you. The starry host and the sun and the moon, they bow down before you and earth is your footstool. What is man that you are mindful of him? Glory to God in the highest. Power and riches and strength are yours. Excellence, praise, grace, it belongs to you. Honor, respect, majesty, it's yours. Dignity, sovereignty, preeminence, it all belongs to you. Glory to God in the highest. A baby lying in a manger, the humble king. From heaven to earth. And the praise of the angels moved from heaven, glory to God in the highest, to earth. And they said this, on earth. In heaven, glory. On earth, peace. In heaven, glory. On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's a, it's a message of deliverance. The story of deliverance. The story of a deliverer. Peace to men. Peace to men. It's harmony. 
You know, that's that, that tranquil state of soul where you're assured and resting in salvation through Jesus Christ. Assured and resting and so fearing nothing, uh, so fearing nothing from God and so content with your earthly lot that whatever it is, it's just harmony, tranquility, peace, because God is on the throne and you trust him. And you know Jesus. Peace. Peace on earth. I, I just think, you know, peace, that, that has got to be what I think every heart desires. Peace. Assurance. Rest in your soul. You know that you can have that? You can have assurance in your soul. You can have peace in your heart. Peace in your mind. And you, can think, you might think to yourself, you know, well, I, I don't know who God is. I don't know the character of God. I, I don't know the intentions of God towards me. Well, you know, this morning I would say this to you. You can put all of those questions to rest. With rest, you can, you can put, you know, you can just have assurance about who God is. You can have assurance about his character. You, you can have assurance in your soul regarding his intentions towards you. Because all of those questions are answered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The intentions of God towards you are singular. Peace. Peace. How would you like that? Peace with God. The peace of God. How wonderful it is to know the intentions of God towards me are singular. Peace. Goodwill to men. Not ill will. You know, not, not hidden attention, not harmful, not hostile, good will to men on whom his favor rests. You know, recently I uh, coached both my boys in hockey and uh, I'm head coach of Eli's team and we have a lot of fun. And a number of weeks back, we headed into the city for a game. And this time around, we were going to play against a private club. You know, the kind of club that before you get to join it, they want to see your bank statement just to assure that you could be one of them. And, uh, you know, as we, well, it's also the kind of club that they, you know, it's an Adam team, nine and 10 year olds, and they pay their coach and they pay their manager. And it's that kind of club, okay? Nine and 10 year olds. And you drive onto the property and, and, as you do, you go through the parking lot and just all the cars lined up in the lot just give evidence to the affluence and the wealth of these members. The property is set up in such a way that the guests drive a long ways in to the lowly visitors' parking lot where the shepherds are sent. And, you know, it just seemed like as you wandered around this property that everything was designed to make you feel like you didn't belong and that you weren't welcome. You know, even to get access to the building, I had to, like, quickly grab a door before it shut in my face, sneaking in behind someone, hoping I wouldn't get in trouble. It wasn't a normal rec center. You know, the halls were beautiful, but they were unfriendly. And they were hard to navigate. Couldn't find the team's dressing room. 
And, you know, with the noses so high in the air, I felt like an idiot asking, uh, where are the dressing rooms? Could you please direct? I, I mean, I didn't want to expose. I wasn't one of you. I, I, don't, I don't fit in here. I mean, but I think uh, just the awkward nature of how I was acting just gave it all away. But, you know, by the end of my few hours there, look, I had no doubts. I had no doubt after just a few hours. It was clear. My heart knew. I don't belong. I'm not one of you. I don't fit in. My, my car isn't nice enough. I don't know my way around. Nobody showed me the secret handshake, and most importantly, my bank account is not big enough. My friends, that is not Jesus. Not Jesus. The angel said, his offer of peace is to all for all on whom his favor rests. The ESV that many of you are holding in translation, the translation that you're, it's really bad, actually. It's really bad. But you look at it, at that verse. It says this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible translation of that angelic announcement. Because it gives the impression in my mind that peace is only available for those with whom God is pleased. The NIV says it this way, on earth, peace to men with whom his favor rests. The, the, the old King James says it this way, on earth, peace, goodwill to men. See, what that tells me is this, is that peace is available to all who would come to Jesus Christ. You know, this, this isn't an exclusive message for only a select few. This is an inclusive message from God. This is for all. My favor rests on all men, and I'm offering you peace. I'm telling you, my intention towards you is goodwill. Did you know that God's favor is on your life? God's favor is on your life. I mean, you might not even know Jesus, but I'm telling you, God's favor is on your life. You know, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and his lordship and his rule, you wave the white flag and you repented of your sin and you turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You might even sense, I don't sense God's favor on my life. Look, and I'm telling you, the scripture says God's favor is on your life. Whether you know Jesus or whether you don't know Jesus, his favor is on your life. And here's how I know it. Well, first of all, the word of God says it. But God is extending to you his goodwill, and we know it for this reason. There's breath in your lungs, my friends. You're sitting here hearing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the ultimate expression of God's love and desire to know you. He sent his son, the humble king. We couldn't ascend into heaven. So he descended from his throne to this earth and he became Emmanuel, God with us. And the shepherds, they got it. Not the most schooled crew, you know. Maybe not the most legit crew. Smelly, 
maybe dishonest stuff going on in their lives that they were ashamed of. They got it. And verse 15 tells us, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What did they say? Let's go see what God has told us. Let's go behold it with our own eyes. See, that's the proper response. When you hear the message of Jesus, that's the proper response. I need to investigate this for myself. Let's pack up and go to Bethlehem and find out if all this is true. Verse 16 says, And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And this will be a sign to you. There it was. That little baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know, notice the verb that just describes the response of the shepherds to the proclamation of the angel. It's this, haste. When they said we need to discover this for ourselves, they went with haste. Man, it was time to take care of business. There's no fooling around. This wasn't like, hey, let's wait till tomorrow. Let's sort this out later. Let's get a sleep on it. And, and then we'll go see if all these things are true. This was, pack your bags. We're going to find out if this is the case. And verse 17 says, and when they saw it, well, it says that they, they went with haste and they found things just as they had been told. In verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary... I love this picture of Mary. Mary treasured up these things and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Mary treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them. My friends, if you know Jesus, you pack in your heart the greatest treasure this world has ever seen. And my friend, if you don't know Jesus, today's a good day to make haste and go introduce yourself to the humble king and confess him as Lord. Mary treasured these things in her heart and we should treasure them too. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Humble king, how amazing you are. If only we could sing like the angels, glory in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. All my life, my breath, my thoughts, all that we are, you, you are worthy, humble king. We thank you that you descended the throne of heaven. You veiled yourself in human flesh. And you offered to me and each one here peace with God. Peace of God. This morning, Lord, I pray that just each of us would do business with you.
Lord, for those who know you, whose lives are surrendered to you, maybe fear has gripped them. I pray today they grip the good news. I pray, God, that that's what they would hang on to, not fear. Lord, for those that are here that don't know you, I pray, God, that they would make haste to your offer of peace. Don't know what tomorrow will bring. Don't know what tonight will bring, nor even this afternoon. And so, Lord, with haste, I pray that they would come and surrender to you, their hearts and their lives, repenting of their sin, confessing in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And may you fill them, Lord, with your spirit. God, we thank you for the Christmas season, the Christmas story. And to you, Lord, may our praise be glory to God in the highest. Amen.